welcome to the First and Ten Podcast. Uh, that's a hot take. That's a scorching take. Uh, I'm not afraid to be bold, though. Thriving, surviving, and watching Rutgers football. There's nothing to respect about Rutgers. You know what? It's pain, but we look good while we do it, man. Hello and welcome to the First and Ten Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Feltz, here in Indianapolis, Indiana. 2020. Uh, so today we're starting our season preview series. I know it's crazy to think that we're still two-plus months away from the season even starting if we get one. Knock on wood. But uh, we're ready to start previewing teams today. So in the first half of this episode, we're going to preview Indiana. And in the second half, we're going to preview Nebraska. Uh, so we're going to start off with the IU preview. Uh, and joining me in New Jersey, it's Griffin Healy. Griffin, what's up? I'm super stoked to start this series, and I can't wait for more episodes to record. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Nashville, Tennessee, Reed Murray. Reed, what's going on? Uh, not too much. Just want to say I know it's a day late, but happy Juneteenth. It should be a national holiday. Um, that's all i got to say on that. Happy Juneteenth, everyone. But I'm just uh, happy to be recording again, ready to get into this series. It's a really... Really fun series, really exciting one. I think we're going to have some good episodes coming up in these uh, next few weeks. I agree with you on all fronts. And joining us uh, for the first time, a guest today to talk about Indiana. Uh, he's a writer at HoosierStateOfMind.com. Uh, he's going to be a classmate of mine in the Indiana class of 2024. Joining us in Boston, Massachusetts, or somewhere near Boston, Massachusetts. It's Zach Breton. Zach, how are we doing today? I'm doing great. I'm really excited to uh, be on the show for the first time and talk some Indiana football. Yeah, uh, you can check out Zach's stuff on HoosierStateOfMind.com. Uh, and you can follow him on Twitter, too. All right. So last season, Indiana, 8-4, uh, and four, a Gator Bowl appearance, uh, which, you know, by IU football standards is is huge. That's massive. Uh, but I think the biggest question is a lot of returning players, uh, a lot of young guys, too. Uh, what can IU do and what can Tom Allen do to build off of the success of last season uh, into next year and maybe even – uh, win eight, eight plus, maybe nine, ten games. What do we think? Um, I'll, I'll hop in right now. I, I think I have a good thought on that question. Um, the first thing is, I know that IU football lost a couple of coaches this offseason, mm-hmm. um, offensive coordinator, um, weight program guy. So I think it's about Tom Allen kind of bringing in the new staff and incorporating them into the love each other culture and just trying to get everyone on the same page before the season starts. Yeah, and uh, you talk about the staff changing. Uh, Nick Sheridan is the new uh, offensive coordinator. Uh, he was the quarterback's coach, former Michigan uh, quarterback a couple of years ago. And Mike Hart is uh, the new associate head coach, uh, another former Michigan player, uh, the running back. Uh, he's the running back's coach too, and he's been one of the lead recruiters. So I think those guys are already pretty well acclimated into uh, the culture and – I think the biggest thing with the coaching staff turnover is, yeah, the weight program, uh, the the strength and conditioning coach got poached by Alabama. And I think it's even funnier because IU just got the New York Giants strength and conditioning coach to replace him. Uh, but uh, the bigger loss, I think, on the coaching staff is Kalen DeBoer, uh, who completely turned around the offense last season after it had been kind of stagnant under Mike DeBoer. Kalen DeBoer got hired as the head coach of Fresno State, where he was previously the O.C., uh, I think Nick Sheridan's going to run a similar offense to what Kalen DeBoer ran last season, but uh, there's still going to be a little bit of change, and it might show in some of the earlier games. But uh, I 
think it's going to be pretty seamless because the offense is going to be uh, pretty similar, I think, to what Kalen DeBoer ran with Nick Sheridan, and there are just so many returning players too. Yeah, you're talking about the returning players. I think a lot of what it takes for Indiana to be successful this season is just to stay healthy. I mean, they got a lot of good weapons at every position, especially in the offense. Uh, you got a, a quality, you know, potential all-conference player at pretty much every major position. So it really just comes down to staying healthy, especially Michael Penix. I'm sure we're going to get into this soon, but, you know, he's been injured both of his previous seasons at Indiana. So if he can stay healthy, that's going to be a key for the Hoosiers. Yeah, and let, let's talk about Michael Penix because I think he is probably the X factor for this team because he's got all the tools. He is a truly elite arm. Uh, and I think he's a pretty elusive uh, player, too. He's he's quick. Uh, but, I mean, I don't think his, his legs are what shines, uh, so to speak. I think it's all about the arm and, and that sort of thing. But I, my thing with Michael Penix is I love what I saw from him last year and, you know, in the limited snaps he got before his injury, uh, his true freshman season. As a redshirt freshman, I like what I saw uh, until he got hurt, obviously, and missed uh, the end of the season. But. I really liked what I saw from him, and I don't think I'm alone in that. I think he's uh, the kind of player that Indiana wants to recruit because they're not going to land the guys who, entering like their true freshman year, they've got the tool. They've got they're not the tools, but like they're polished. They those guys are going to go to the Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State schools like that. So Indiana kind of has to recruit the guys who have the tools, but maybe haven't put it together. Uh, and I think with that coaching staff they can put it all together, which is why I'm confident in Michael Penix because, you know, last year there were some, some throws he made that he just put way too much power on it or he overthrew them and uh, a couple rash decisions. I mean, he wasn't perfect, but I think all the tools are there and the coaching staff uh, is certainly there too uh, for him to be a successful quarterback, and especially because he's only a redshirt sophomore. He's still got a lot of time. So here's the way I see Michael Penix. Um, I'm a big Michael Penix fan. I have him. He's a top five Big Ten quarterback for me. I say he's the number four. I have Justin Fields at one, Tanner Morgan two, Sean Clifford at three. Uh, so don't get it twisted. I believe in Michael Penix. Um, but Michael Penix reminds me of myself playing NCAA football 14. <laughs> and here's why. So he's a good quarterback. He has, he has a good arm. He can run the ball. Because when I play NCAA, I like, to, I like to scramble with the quarterback. He can do that too. But he's more, he's, he's more of a passing quarterback, although he is a dual threat. Um, sometimes he's too impulsive, makes bad decisions. He's too eager to throw the ball. Sometimes he should just throw it away or maybe scramble it more often. But sometimes he just wants to get that pass off too soon when there's not an open receiver. Uh, he, he's trying to make a play that isn't there, which is one thing I noticed, especially in the Ball State game. Uh, this this type of thing occurred multiple times, but I've seen it throughout his his uh throughout the film of his career. Well, uh, can I he's, can I say one thing? Uh, when you talk about the the Ball State game last year. It was his first game back from injury. It was the first game of the season. It was uh, the first game under the Kalen DeBoer offense. So I think they were working out the kinks in that game. I don't think that's a good You're representation. Right. You're right about that. I don't think that's And I'm not going to ride him too hard in the Ball State game. But I think the thing is, I- I'm not going to say that this Ball State game defines who he is as a player, but it did expose some of his flaws. And I'll be, I'll, I'm going to, you know, later games, some of these flaws were not as evident. So a lot of that did come from the coaches, but you could see what he has to work on in that game, which is, I mean, that's a good thing. You know, you mm-hmm. know what to improve on. Um, but when it comes to the deep ball, he can throw 
a good deep ball. He he'll, he will take advantage of a weaker defense. He's got a rocket. A weaker pass defense. He does have a rocket front arm. He will torch a mediocre safety. So that's the thing that 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 puts him, uh, that puts him high on that Big Ten quarterback list. So you know, like I said, sometimes he's too impulsive, but uh, he does make good decisions most of the time. Accuracy can be a problem sometimes. He's got sometimes he'll overthrow or underthrow a guy. But the thing is, he does have Wap Fillier and Ty Fryfogel, who can make up for that pretty well. Uh, especially Fillier, he's just such an athletic guy. I think without them, without either the, without both Fryfogel and Fillier, I think Penix is in trouble. Honestly, but but you know, with that duo or I guess trio of Fillier, Fryfogel, and Penix, and Henderson, that's what you want to have when you're going up against top tier defensive backs. You want to have I, multiple really good weapons on an offense, and I think they go well with Penix and. The thing is, I've noticed this with Penix. He performs very well when he has when he has a lot of time on his hands. But he's not under pressure, so he will play significantly better when against a bad defensive line or even just an okay defensive line. And if you give okay. him time, he will make good plays. You talk about, about uh, you talk about pressure, and I think there's going to be a lot of turnover on the offensive line this season. But I've got a reason to why I don't think that's a big deal because. There are three offensive linemen uh, leaving the program this year. Coy Cronk, grad transferred to Iowa. Uh, Hunter Littlejohn graduated, and Simon Stepaniak graduated and got drafted by the Green Bay Packers. Uh, so those three guys, all seniors from the offensive line, are gone. But all three of those guys dealt with injuries during the season, too. Uh, I know Cronk missed uh, pretty much the entire second half of the season, and uh, in his place, Matt Bedford, a freshman tackle, started and played really well. So... I don't think that's going to be a huge issue because last year all the backup offensive linemen got to play, and honestly, they looked fine too. Uh, and it's a young offensive line for the most part. Uh, you know, I think the most important player on the offensive line is uh, still probably going to be Matt Bedford, who I, I loved last season. I thought he was a really good uh, freshman player. But another guy on the offensive line who's going to be important, especially with uh, – you know, Kronk, Stepaniak, and Little John all uh, gone. Uh, it's a grad transfer uh, they got from Stanford uh, over the offseason. Uh, grad transfer, uh, O-lineman, uh, guy by the name of Dylan Powell. He's going to be uh, probably going to start uh, for, for the Hoosiers. So there's a little bit of uh, – senior leadership on that offensive line, even if it's a transfer. So I think that's important. And uh, one thing with Indiana, and I've mentioned this, I said the offensive line was young. Really, this is just a young team across the board. There aren't a whole lot of seniors uh, who are going to get uh, extended playing time. I said Powell, Fillier, and Freifogel at receiver. Uh, but other than that, most of uh, – Marcelino Ball is a senior too, I think. But I think most of the uh, impact players, you talk about Penix – uh, Stevie Scott, Taiwan Mullen, Jamar Johnson, these guys all have multiple years ahead of them to develop. It's a yeah, young and, team, you know, and it's a team with a lot of experience, too, which yeah, I that's, think is, that's what I was just about to bring up. Plays that, yeah. really, really well uh, for not just this season, but next season, too. Yeah, not a lot of seniors on the team, but 16 returning starters. That's huge. Yeah. And even, even if they're not starters, there, there's been a good number of guys who got experienced last season at backup, especially Samson James, because I want to take a second to talk about Samson James. I was watching some of his tape. Um, he is just loaded with potential. I don't, he's not at Steven Scott's level yet. He's not going to be the starting running back or anything like that. I don't think he's going to take his, his starting spot. 
But the thing is, he, he's not as strong as Stevie Scott, but he, he, he makes cuts better. He's faster out of cuts, jukes, et cetera. And he has good speed. Uh, the problem is his, his, his vision is decision-making. He doesn't always choose the right gap to go through. But there's a ton of potential there. We've seen this with the Indiana coaching staff before, that they can take players and develop them pretty well, at least in recent history. And I really think that, that Samson James is going to become something special soon. Yeah, yeah. especially uh, at that running back position and with Mike Hart as the coach. I'll let you talk in a second. I'm sorry. Uh, but, yeah, no, no problem. Uh, Samson, I think, is probably going to split some snaps with Stevie because uh, we saw at the, la- at the end of last season when, when Stevie Scott was hurt for the Purdue game, Tennessee game, Samson got a lot of snaps. and He looked pretty good, I would say. So uh, I expect to see more Samson James this season, and I like him a lot. I actually had Samson James as one of my breakout players for this year. Um, if you look at, honestly, what his, his body of work from last year, he did some solid work as a backup. Um, and then coming into this year, I think him and Scott, like you said, are going to split roles with Scott getting more of the handoffs. But um, looking at his recruiting, he was recruited by Ohio State, Florida State, Georgia, uh, Michigan, Michigan State, Minnesota, Nebraska, Notre Dame, mm-hmm. Penn State. Like, he was heavily recruited. Yeah, um, he was uh, so, He was an Ohio State commit, actually, in flipped Indiana. Yeah. yeah, so I think he, he has, he's an incredible – young raw talent and I think he'll develop well under uh Tom Allen and the offensive staff yeah I think, and after I the think uh, we might I, see... actually one thing I want to say one thing on Samson before go before we go but uh he entered the transfer portal this offseason actually uh for about a week after the the strength coach uh left for Alabama uh, I think there was some connection through through Avon High School between those guys but uh I was really worried when, when Samson James got into the transfer portal and he, he exited the portal and came back to Indiana, which was a huge, huge sigh of relief because losing him would have been terrible. Yeah, and I think this season we might see something similar to what the Titans had um, in around like 2008 or so when they had the, the slash and dash Chris Johnson, Lendell White thing. I think because, I mean, I think it's a good one-two punch with Scott and, and Samson James. So uh, I think we might see – you know, I think I think Scott is obviously going to be the main running back, but I think James will get significantly more touches last season than he mm-hmm. did when the two of them were both healthy at the same time. Yeah. yeah. And uh, just want to talk about, you know, we were talking about injuries. We were talking about Penix earlier. I think if Penix does go down with an injury, which is a very likely possibility, um, to be completely honest, I'm not super worried about Jack Tuttle being the starting quarterback. Tuttle is – I mean, he's not as good as as, uh, as Penix is. But I think Tuttle – I mean, there's not a lot of film of him outside of his high school film, but I think what you can conclude there is he just seems like your your average good backup quarterback. He's, he's not going to um, – I don't think he's going to be able to do what Ramsey did last season because Ramsey – Well, okay. Like a starter. Let me tell you but, the thing with Peyton Ramsey is the year before, though, Peyton Ramsey did not look very good. His his uh, redshirt junior year, or maybe it was, I don't remember if it was redshirt or redshirt sophomore. Are you talking I about Tuttle remember. or Ramsey? Ramsey, no Ramsey. Yeah, okay. uh, his the Penix is true freshman year. Penix. Uh, Patrick. Perfect. I think we might have, but anyway, back to what I was saying about Tuttle. Um, I mean this in a good way. He seems like kind of like a cookie cutter quarterback. He's just what you would expect from a quarterback. So I think he's not going to be a game changer like Penix might be, but I think he'll be able to pick up some of that slack if he's gone. I think Indiana will be in decent hands uh, if Tuttle does have to take over. 
uh, at the quarterback position if Penix does go down. Yeah, if, so if Penix yeah. goes if Penix goes down, I think we'll see the offense revert more to a running game uh, emphasis with like such a strong running game and uh, more of like little dips to a failure in the slot. I think it will be a lot less of like airing it out deep like Penix like to do, and we'll find out that the offense can also work in like short yard situations. And even then, like if it if it is more of a, of a running system, that's not necessarily a bad thing for Indiana because you know, we were just talking about these about these two very good running backs they have. So I mean, if, if you're going to rely on Samson James and Stevie Scott, that's that's not the worst situation to be in. So I think you know we were talking about injuries, and obviously it's going to be crucial to keep guys like Fillier, Stevie Scott, Penix, etc., healthy. But even if one of them goes down, I think you know if, if the majority of the offense goes down, obviously they'll be in trouble. But <laughs> If, if just one or two guys goes down, I think Indiana should be uh, in decent hands and they should potentially still be able to maintain that good record, that eight and four uh, type record that we're expecting from them. I think I think with a fully healthy offense, they can upset teams like Wisconsin, Penn State. I don't think they can upset uh, a team like that if Jack Tuttle is their quarterback. But I think Jack Tuttle can get them consistent wins um, in just your, your regular uh, – you know, game on their schedule. Yeah. Yeah, I, I disconnected for a second there, but uh, you talk about that offense. Uh, so we talked about quarterback, receiver, or running back, uh, the line. Uh, I want to talk about the receivers and tight ends because Wap Fillier is one of my favorite Indiana football players of the last couple of years. Just such a fun player to watch. And, you know, I can talk about Freifogel, talk about, Peyton Hendershot, too, and a couple of the recruits. But I want to get into Wap Fillier, uh, just an electric player. And I'm so glad he came back for his senior season because I think he's going to be one of the best receivers in the whole conference, uh, just like he was last season. Uh, and he'll probably be the guy who, again, you look to to kind of kickstart the offense. He's going to be uh, just an electric player uh, for, for the team. And I think he's – He's going to be the reason that they pull off an upset or two. If they do, it's going to be because Wab Fillier goes for 150 yards and a touchdown or two in a, a huge game. Maybe not 150, but like a huge – he's going to have a big game here or there against a big team that's going to lead to a win that they, they might not have gotten otherwise. He's that good of a player. Oh, yeah, he's a big-time player. I think he'll show up in big games because, I mean, look at that Ohio State game last season – uh, nobody really performed super well, to be completely honest, but Wap Fillier, that's a guy you noticed in that game. So I think that does say a lot about him. And uh, he's, yeah, he's, he's going to be one of, the, one of the key people to watch out for this season. Obviously, he's one of the top receivers in the conference, so you got to keep an eye on Wap Fillier. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah. I totally agree with you, but one thing that I was looking at is he actually has had some injury problems. I know he had a concussion last year. Yeah, um, uh, so I think he he, he, uh, he, he got he decked in that, uh, He got absolutely decked in that Penn State game, and there was no penalty. I'm still mad about that. Yeah, yeah. So if he can stay healthy, he'll definitely be looking to uh, looking at all-time Indiana reception receiving yard records. I was doing my research this morning, and I found out he's actually pretty close to both of those. If he has a killer season, he could uh, he could get up there. So um, that's something he's definitely has his eye on, and we'll see. That's interesting, and uh, I think he could totally get that, especially because uh, it's his senior year, and I think he's uh, probably going to have the best season of his career, uh, given his experience. And, you know, one guy who there have been a lot of question marks around uh, at this position group, 
uh, in the offseason has been Peyton Hendershot. Of course, he was arrested, and there was that whole debacle. I don't really want to get into the details of it, uh, but it's sounding like Hendershot's going to be on the roster this season, and he was a really reliable target, especially in the red zone. Uh, yeah, for Penix, but I think mostly for, for Peyton Ramsey, uh, he was kind of Peyton Ramsey's go-to guy. Uh, like in that Purdue game, he, he uh, you know, double overtime, he got the ball down to the one-yard line, uh, and then Ramsey snuck it in, of course, won, won the old Oaken bucket. But uh, there were a lot of plays like that. Hendershot's just a, a really reliable tight end. And I know people love to say that about every tight end, but uh, Peyton Hendershot doesn't drop a lot of balls, and he gets a lot of first downs too. Yeah, and I was watching some film with uh, Penix and Hendershot, and I think they have a really good connection. It's like it, it kind of reminds me a little bit of Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski when I think of that because it's just it's a quarterback. Oh my heart! Just go really well together, oh. and it, <laughs> it honestly, because I I don't like Hendershot as a person from what I've known about him, and it, it really is a shame that he did what he did. It's just it's just a bad situation, and it's. Like, it's hard to root for him. It's hard to root for Indiana it is. when he's one yeah. of the star players. It's, well, no, I don't think it's hard to root for the team uh, when he's one of the star players. I mean, every there have been plenty of teams. Who for me, it is just with issues. if I grew up an Indiana fan, maybe not. But for me, it's just knowing he's one of the best when, players. He's when, he makes, when he makes a catch, I, I, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't like what he did. Obviously, nobody does, but... I mean, I'm. It it makes you just wince a little bit when when you see him. Mm-hmm. It, you just kind of think, oh, it, it's hard. It's hard to separate the player from, uh, the person. It, it is, and uh, I I hope he probably is is. I trust Tom Allen to to take it seriously and to uh, treat it with uh, the gravity that the situation deserves. That's what I'll say. Yeah. Coming, coming from a New England Patriots fan who watched Aaron Hernandez for, uh, for five years, um, I, I know a lot about tight ends and legal problems. Um, so <laughs> I'd, have to, I'd, have, I'd have to agree that it makes you think twice, but I feel like when I'm watching football, like, it's just about the game. You just got to lock in and like, worry about yeah. the, the outside stuff like, later. Like, I know – and we don't, honestly, I'm not honestly going to defend Hendershot, but – how much do we really know about the case in general? So that's the thing. Yeah, that's the thing. And the fact that and Tom Allen is is all about culture. And I don't think he would have, if he truly thought Peyton Endershot was a terrible guy and was not remorseful. I don't think he would have welcomed him back onto the team. Quite frankly. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely not. I'm with you on that one, Patrick. I, I see what you're saying. So I, uh, I don't want to think about that too much longer, but. I think he's going to be an important player, especially uh, inside the 10-yard line. Uh, but I also, at the receiver position, yeah, the two best players are going to be uh, seniors, Freifogel and Fillier. But uh, there were a couple of freshman receivers uh, incoming this year to this class who I really like. Uh, there was Rashawn Williams, a uh, four-star recruit from Detroit, uh, who did offers from Michigan, Ohio State, LSU, among others. Uh, and... I, I like what I've seen of him. I think he's a really solid player. But uh, the other guy I like who's an incoming freshman is David Baker uh, from Cecina High School uh, in Indianapolis. Uh, he He's good, too. Uh, I like both of these receivers a whole lot. He, he had a Michigan offer, actually. But 
with those two guys, I don't think they're going to play this year. I was looking at the active roster for the 2020 season on the school website, and neither of those guys were listed. So I bet they redshirt, which I think is smart because you don't need them this year when you have Wab Fillier and Ty Freifogel. So you wait a year on those guys, give them an extra year of eligibility. I think that's smart. Uh, let them learn under uh, the seniors. And then uh, in a year or two, especially next season, I think they can be really high-impact uh, receivers for IU. But – the one receiver who I don't see a lot of people talking about uh, is David Ellis, who he's not a possession receiver, so he's not going to get a lot of passes thrown his way. Uh, but he is a great uh, gadget player, trick player. He's super quick. Uh, he was recruited as an athlete out of high school. He played running back and wide receiver. Uh, and I've seen him listed as both uh, on the team roster. I think he's more of a gadget receiver than he is a running back. But uh, he's going to do a lot of uh, cool things on the offense uh, as a sophomore, probably some trick plays, maybe return some kicks. Uh, but David Ellis, just lightning quick speed uh, and a very solid gadget player who I think is going to be utilized more in this offense. Yeah, I can see a little bit of Paris Campbell in him to draw to Ohio State and Colts comparison there. Um, but, you know, speaking of possession mm-hmm. wide receivers, just I, I don't think Ty Freifogel is like he's gotten attention from us and from just Big Ten reporters, I don't think he gets enough hype when it comes to just college football fans or analysts in general. Because I've just noticed him, uh, he just he's he's really good at locating the ball. He has good awareness, and he's just he's very reliable. I'll say, uh, and he wasn't a starter uh, last season, but he he does have some experience. I think he's going to be. Uh, I, I would say he's going to be a, a breakout player for Indiana next season. I think he's going to get the ball yeah, a lot more. As, as a senior, as a senior, I think he's going to get a lot of a lot of balls. A lot of the balls that were thrown to uh, guys like Nick Westbrook last season, I think, are going to just all go to Ty Freifogel. I think he's going to uh, fit right year. into the role that Nick that Nick Westbrook had last season. I, I think so. Yeah. I well, I think he caught more passes than than Westbrook last season. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think a lot of the ones that would have gone to a guy like Westbrook because. I don't know who the true third receiver is going to be. Maybe Jordan Jakes. Uh, maybe they don't even really need one besides Ellis as the gadget and Hendershot as the tight end. But uh, I think that a lot of passes are going to be headed to Ty Fogel's way. I completely agree with you on that one. Yeah, so we, we talked about the offense ad nauseum, and I think that's what really sticks out about Indiana is the offense when there's so many talented players, guys who could potentially be playing in the NFL at pretty much every position. But – uh, I want to talk about the defense, too, uh, especially the defensive backs. Uh, that's the part of the defense I'm most confident in. Uh, obviously, there are two guys who stick out. Number one is Taiwan Mullen, and number two is Jamar Johnson, uh, who has the best name on Instagram. I want a Grammy. Did he actually win a Grammy? We will. Who knows? I would love to find out. I would love to have him on the show and ask him. But uh, I want to talk about Taiwan Mullen. I absolutely love Taiwan Mullen, and I've talked about him pretty much since the start of last season. I think he's going to be the best corner in the Big Ten. Uh, quite frankly, I think he's going to be one of the best corners in the country. I think I'm gonna have this to guy is a right true there. shutdown player. I'm going to have to stop you right I think there. he's better than Sean Wade. No. I think he is better than Sean Wade. I, I thought he was better than that. Sean Wade last season, too. I, I see where you're coming from. I see a lot of good things in him, but I cannot go that far to say he's better than Sean Wade. At least not yet. But uh, continue. I'm sorry for interrupting. <laughs> no, 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 it's cool. But uh, Taiwan Mullen, I think, is a super important player uh, for, for this Indiana team. And, uh, yeah, Jamar Johnson, too, who both of those guys were ranked, I think, among 
uh, the three best defensive backs returning in the Big Ten this season uh, by Pro Football Focus, uh, the PFF College I saw online. And I, I talked about that on, on one episode already, but uh, it's those two guys. But the other player who I would argue is, I don't know, he's not as good as Mullen, and I would probably put him a step or two below Jamar Johnson, but it's Marcelino Ball who – Hasn't been talked about as much, but I think is just as impactful of a defensive back. And with those three guys as your defensive backs, especially Mullen coming off of a really good true freshman season and that freshman to sophomore jump uh, with a full season, full off season of conditioning, uh, you know, maybe not in person, but at home, uh, I think is really going to benefit him and benefit this defense uh, because uh, they're going to go against some really good offenses. Uh in conference play. I mean, they always do. It's the big 10 East, but especially this year when you're going against quarterbacks like uh, Justin Fields and uh, Sean Clifford, I almost call him Trace McSorley. <laughs> um, one thing with Taiwan Mullen is his brother's in the NFL as a corner for the Raiders. And uh, he's, act- yeah. he's actually cousins with, um, um, why am I blanking on his name? NFL. Oh, Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson. Yeah, I'm stupid. Lamar Jackson. Um, and the, the quarterback, not the Nebraska corner. Yeah, Ravens quarterback, Madden cover athlete. Um, but they've been working out apparently this offseason where, uh, you know, they have Lamar playing quarterback in Taiwan and his brother in coverage, which is just ridiculous. Like, if you think Justin Fields is good, <laughs> Lamar Jackson would blow him out <laughs> of the water. So, I mean, that, that's really exciting. I think Mullins is going to have a great year and I hope I mean is, could he be an NFL draft pick this year I'm, I'm not sure but well he's only a sophomore so he can't yeah. go into the draft oh this right year. right right he's, yep he's got at least another season ahead of him and which that's incredible that he's he's still got two more years of college I, guaranteed because players like this don't come to Indiana often you know guys with many NF with an NFL background and from the state of Florida well they've recruited Florida really well but guys with an NFL background who he was under-recruited, I think, because of his size. And, you know, not recruiting a guy because of their size, I think that was the biggest issue with him. That always bugs me because if a guy's good at football, he's good at football. Like, I don't get that. And, and I think his, his size did not matter one bit last season because he locked down some of the best receivers in the conference. Yeah. Uh, but uh, with the rest of the defense, uh, the two guys I like also, Thomas Allen, son of the coach, uh, and Micah McFadden, uh, those are the, the two linebackers. Uh, they were actually high school teammates at Plant High School in Tampa. Uh, but those guys, I think, uh, were, were incredible last season. And not, not a lot of people talked about that, uh, the connection those, those two linebackers have all the way back to high school and, and growing up together. Uh, but I think that, uh, you know, one's a senior, one's a junior. They've got uh, a lot of experience, and I think they can be excellent leaders for this defense. And Allen went down in that Nebraska game. He actually got booed by Nebraska fans, uh, even though he had just gotten a season-ending injury, uh, which was one of the most classless things I saw all season. But uh, I think those two guys are going to be really important as uh, upperclassmen leaders for this defense, uh, especially a defense with so many young guys on it. Uh, but the biggest issue on defense last season for Indiana was pass rush. Yeah. And there, there are two reasons why I think that's going to be better this season. Uh, number one is uh, a defensive tackle. 
uh, I think they're they're actually pretty solid. And uh, that all comes around to a guy who's also been rated pretty well but by metrics, like, like the pro football focus stuff. But uh, it's number 98, uh, Jerome Johnson. Uh, he's a senior from Bassfield, Mississippi. Uh, but he, he generated a lot of pressure last year, even though a lot of other players really couldn't. Uh, and the other guy who I like a lot, a guy who I watched play in high school, Bo Robbins, he's uh he was a four-star defensive end recruit last season. He redshirted uh guy from Carmel, Indiana, uh 6'5, 247. So he's pretty big and long. Uh I think he's going to probably get a lot of snaps at defensive end. Uh and hopefully uh get to the quarterback a lot too. Another name is uh Javon Swain from Chester from Stanford. Yeah, uh, uh he's an edge rusher. Two Stanford transfers on the team. But uh I think he'll have yeah, I think he'll have a great season, too, that adds to the pass rush. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and defense, you know, there were some games where the defense was incredible. Uh, you know, games like Rutgers, where they held Rutgers to a single passing yard. But, you know, other games, the bottom fell out, like uh, Ohio State and Michigan. But I think with experience, the defense is going to get better just because there were so many young starters uh, and, and that's a good thing, that they're only going to get better. Yeah, and it's interesting that you bring up that Indiana versus Michigan game because that game, I remember watching that game. I was in Columbus, and I was like, man, this is a real shame because Indiana kept it close for a while. It was 7-7 at the end of the first quarter, and it was 21-14 at the half. So Indiana at home, close game, they got a very good chance to win the game, and then third quarter, the floodgates opened. But I think this season with the first of all, Indiana was was dealing with injuries that game. But I think with the experience, they were for the whole second half of the season. Yeah. So I think if Indiana, I mean, like I like we said earlier, staying healthy is going to be a huge part of it. But I think with experience, the the difference between this Indiana team and the last season Indiana team is I don't think they're going to, uh, like you said, have have just give away games. You know, keep it close for a while, and then eventually, uh, eventually start to give it away. And that's kind of a in Indiana thing they've done for a long time they they give they, they keep it close <laughs> with good teams and then they give it away that's what i've known indiana for, for years yep. but i think with the experience um and with the potential of everyone being healthy i think they finally are going to actually pull off an upset i think it's going to be against wisconsin week one if there's no fans uh if there are fans there i think wisconsin wins a close one but uh i mean if you guys are ready to get into breaking down a few of these games and going through the schedule i'm ready I'm, Let's do it. Let's I'm go excited. through the schedule. Yeah. First, what do we think about floor and ceiling for this team? Like, what is the bare minimum of wins and what is the absolute maximum? They don't have to be like – like, I don't think it's likely that they strike just the ground floor of wins. But what do we think our floor and ceiling is? Because right now I'm saying the floor is seven wins because I think there, there are five games that they should absolutely 100% win. Western Kentucky, Ball State, UConn. Maryland and Rutgers. If they lose one of those games, uh, things could be ugly. Uh, and then I think they win at least two of Michigan State, Illinois, and Purdue. Uh, all three of those games are at home. I don't see them dropping uh, more than two or more than one of those games. And the one that most likely is that they're going to lose would probably be Purdue just because that game is always weird, no matter how good the teams are or how bad the teams are. Uh, but I think seven wins is, is a pretty reasonable floor, maybe six. Uh, but I don't think there's any possibility that this team doesn't go bowling. And uh, knock on wood, I don't want to curse them by saying that because it is Indiana football after all. But 
I think the floor is six wins in the ceiling, nine and three, 10 and two, which would mean to me, uh, that would mean uh, you win the five games that I said are, are pretty much gimmies. I hate to call a game a gimme, especially the big 10, but you've seen those teams play. Uh, yeah. And then I think that would mean sweeping Illinois, Purdue and Michigan state, and then beating either Penn state or Wisconsin. So for me, I got to agree with you, uh, floor seven and five. And I've said the past floor seven and five, ceiling is nine and three. But I think when you're talking about ceilings, it's like this is the absolute maximum. I'm saying 10 and two is the ceiling. I'm not saying that's likely at all. I would be very surprised if they went 10 and two. But -hmm. I think it's possible for them to pull off a week one upset against Wisconsin and then beat either Penn State or Michigan. Because I think, I think if Michigan, I mean, Indiana has gotten close to Michigan the past few years. And it's it's not out of the question that Michigan would give up a game that they probably should win, especially late in the season, right before the Ohio State game, going against a good Indiana team. I mean, that's that's dangerous. So I think they could win. Uh, I don't think they beat Ohio State. I don't want to. I don't want to curse Ohio State by saying this, but I think Ohio State that's a loss. No, I think not much. You that's totally it. fair. No, I. No, I think Ohio State is going to be one hundred percent a loss, and and Michigan is probably too, just mm-hmm. because it's on the road and the luck that Indiana's had against Michigan for the last three decades has yeah. been, Oh, what's the word? Non-existent. Exactly. And <laughs> I mean, you take the, the three other than Ohio state, the three biggest games at Wisconsin, the home versus Penn state at Michigan. I think it's really likely that they lose all three of these or win just one, but it's possible they win two. So I'm saying ceiling is 10 and two. My, my record prediction is going to be either eight and four, nine and three, depending on if they can get uh, an upset. Mm-hmm. So here's the thing I'm going to say, so they're either going to be six and one or seven and zero oh heading into the Penn State game on Halloween, and this will be the week after Penn State uh, plays Ohio State uh, in Happy Valley, and I think Ohio State's going to win that game. So yeah. if Penn State's coming off a loss to Ohio State, and Indiana's got all the momentum in the world, uh, if fans are in that stadium, <clears throat> I think there's going to be the right amount of upset magic in the air for IU to pull it off. And I think I've mentioned that on this show before, but uh, it feels. I hate to say it feels like it when I think Penn State is going to be a better team than Indiana, uh, kind of without a doubt, but it really feels like an upset. It just kind of has that sort of vibe, yeah, especially I, because, you know, it's Halloween. It's, it's a little spooky. Yeah. <laughs> I have that game circled on my calendar in a big red marker. I totally agree with you. I think the Ohio State game is going to be brutal for Penn State, and they're going to come into a Memorial Stadium, into the Rock on Halloween night. I mean – I think that's that's Indiana's game to win. I, I mean, Penn State's obviously the better team, but I think fans in the stadium, spookiness in the air, that's a game to watch. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. All right, so do you two have the same floor and ceiling or uh, any hot takes there? No, I have pretty much the exact same floor and ceiling, probably like 7-5 and five to 9-3. and three. I don't think 10 is going to be as achievable, but I'm not saying it's not achievable. Yeah, I pretty much have the same thing. Um, my prediction would be eight and four. Um, I could see an upset against Michigan, maybe, or Wisconsin. I have the Penn State game as a win, so we'll see what happens. But yeah, eight Let me and just four. Say this. We'll see. Eight, well, who do you think they're gonna? Okay, so I would say, well, so you you would have three losses to Ohio State, Michigan, Wisconsin, and who's the fourth loss for you? Mine's Illinois. Um, it would either be Illinois mm. or Purdue, but that Illinois game stands out because it's in between Ohio State and Michigan. So it's just like a brutal four-game stretch there, Penn State, Ohio State, Illinois, just, and Michigan. 
I just don't see him dropping the Illinois game because I don't I don't think they're going to lose three games in a row uh, at any point in the season. Number one and number two, uh, I don't I think Brandon Peters is going to get absolutely demolished by the IU defensive backs. I was watching uh, Nebraska's comeback against uh, Illinois the other day for for some notes on Nebraska, and at the end of that game when Nebraska staged the comeback. Uh, Brandon Peters got absolutely destroyed by, by Cam Taylor and the other Nebraska defensive backs. So I don't really trust Brandon Peters' arm against a really good IU secondary. That's true. We'll see. Um, and then Purdue could be the other game where uh, – That's but, the thing. Yeah. yeah. That, that game's just always weird. And I think Purdue's going to have a pretty good team this year if they're healthy. That's a big if. And I'll talk about that when we talk about Purdue next week. But that's a huge if if they can stay healthy. An even bigger if than – when it comes to IU uh, and their key players, if Purdue's key players are at least semi-healthy, I think they could be in for a pretty good season. And let me let me just say this about an eight and four Indiana team: if Indiana goes eight and four, they're winning their bowl game. Because uh, unless they go against some ridiculous, unfair like ten and two team or whatever, if they face an eight and four team in a bowl game, I think they win it. Because I think yeah. they'll be one of the best eight and four teams in the nation. Because I mean, they do have they do have four very hard games on that schedule. Um, obviously, just by virtue of being in the Big Ten East, you're going to get three hard games every year. Uh, and then Wisconsin on the road, that's a hard one. Um, so just bad luck on that, on their part. Uh, but I think they're going to be better than the eight and four is going to look uh, when, when you look at their record. I think I think it will just be criminal if Indian is not ranked for the majority of the season. I think they should be in the AP top 25 to open the season. I think if they're not, uh, I'll be upset about that. But if by week, like, three or four, they're unranked – well, actually, because they lose to Wisconsin and they beat Western Kentucky and Ball State, that doesn't look too impressive. But I think by the time they face Michigan State, they should be a ranked team. Mm-hmm. I yeah. agree. Absolutely yeah. agree. Okay, so uh, last thing I kind of want to do with IU before uh, we finish, does anybody have a bull prediction? Rose Bowl. <laughs> yeah hey shoot, i love the optimism eight four rose bowl yeah. team let's get it <laughs> let's go uh i don't know i'm kind of thinking the big ten's got to tie into the las vegas bowl this year i think that could be a possibility uh, and that'd be a cool trip for a lot of people to make i'm sure but especially at that new stadium in vegas but i'm kind of thinking uh outback citrus bowl sort of range like nothing too crazy but Nothing to scoff at, and by Indiana standards, it's it's you know a uh, a massive massive game. Yeah. My prediction for Indiana is on December thirtieth, two thousand nineteen. I'll be eating some hot chicken, walking over to Nissan 20, Stadium, two thousand twenty. Oh my god! I just said two thousand nineteen, not two thousand twenty. I, what did I just say? Um, December 30th, 2020, I'll be eating some hot chicken, walking over to Nissan Stadium to see Indiana take on uh, an 8-4 and four or so SEC team. I see them in the Music City Bowl. I don't know if they'll put an 8-4 and four team in the Music City Bowl. That's I what feel the Music like City Bowl is made for. Because be... there's been 9-3 and three teams in the Music City Bowl before. Like last year yeah, was a 7-5 matchup. So that bowl kind of fluctuates. But like Northwestern was 9-3, and three, I believe, in the Music City Bowl. So I think yeah, I would like I would love there. the Music City Bowl. I would love the Music City Bowl because it's driving distance and plus SEC matchups are fun, uh, especially if they could swing a team like Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the cool. matchup I wanted last season was Kentucky in the bowl, and it was gonna happen. But those it was gonna Tennessee happen. Balls, then bastards just Philip Fulmer. Took it away. Ugh. 
Damn it, Fulmer. Yeah. Damn the Vols. Hate Tennessee. Okay, anything We're else? We're anti-Vol podcast, if you didn't know. I agree. Uh, anything else on IU before we go? Good for me. Nothing from me. Okay. Uh, Zach, thank you for coming on. Uh, anything you want to plug? Um, HoosierStateOfMind.com. Check out my work. Uh, I've been grinding, so thank you for the support, and thanks for having me on, guys. Glad to have you on anytime, Zach. See ya. Bye, guys. Bye.